We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want He's, he's mentioned the almost 800 carries, so he's had a high workload through his college career. If he translates that up to the NFL, there's a lot of support that shows that their body can already take that workload and there shouldn't be an increase in injury risk. Yes, the increase in talent, it does play a factor into that, but you know, if he was only carrying the ball, let's say, 150 times a season, then we ask him to do it 300, I think we're going to see a greater chance of him breaking down having injuries. That's why, despite Devin Singletary, he had a lot of uh, carries in, in college, and then, yeah, we saw him be relied upon in the pros, but outside of the hamstring issue, I don't believe he had anything else, which shows he's durable as well. So as long as you see a high workload in college, that translates well to the NFL, which then should allow him to be available when we do need him. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was our guest for tonight's show from his most recent appearance on the Lockdown Bills Podcast. Doctor of Physical Therapy. Doc, if that stethoscope is as freezing cold as it was yesterday. Bangedupbills.com. I'm going to shove it right up your ass. Kyle Trimble. No, beat it, nurse. Come back when you're abroad. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a packed show for you tonight, and we have Mr. Kyle Trimble here in studio with us. Kyle, how are you doing tonight? Pretty fucking hot. That's how I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah, folks, Chris has a 5,000 BTU air conditioner for his entire apartment, and I just said to him, if it's this hot, when we try to podcast ever again... I'm just going to rock a Speedo. Like, that's it. We, I, I think we've had hotter weather for a podcast before. You used but, to live in the South. Yeah. Just, uh, you, you don't count. Your opinion on what's hot and what's not does not matter. Well, this is, this is extremely hot for the end of May in Buffalo. We set the record today. It was so hot that the heat, because I'm an idiot, I have a tray in the dashboard of my truck, and I threw my sunglasses in there, and the heat in the lower corner actually baked the polarization off the lenses. 
That's how hot it was. It's crazy, folks. But we have Kyle Trimble in studio with us. For those of you who are new to the podcast or are unfamiliar with Kyle's work, Kyle is a doctor of physical therapy, friend of the podcast, owner of bangedupbills.com. And if you follow Bill's podcasting or blogging, I'm sure you've seen his name thrown around here. Cover one, Locked on Bills, as you heard in the intro. He's constantly putting out things for Buffalo Rumblings. In fact, if you go Google right now, as I, he was impressed when I showed him. If you Google Buffalo Bills injuries and then look at the news tab on Google, his articles are seven. The first seven entries are his, and he's eight of the top nine beating out the Buffalo News. Kyle? I was definitely surprised. I was like, there's no way that this is actually a thing. And I Google it, I go, holy cow, this is really a thing. I'm making some noise here. I'm impressed. Being a Bills fan, he's he's taken that, and he's taken his medical background, and he's turned it into some really informative stuff about just football and injuries and injury analysis. And that's why we have him for tonight. We have a packed show talking about coming I mean, with the recent announcement, the training camps around the country. More and more governors are starting to open up their states to sports teams. And with that, there's always the concern for injury, especially when you're talking about a truncated season. So with that, we have a lot to go over. But as we always do, we kick off the show with a quarantine week nine recap. Kyle, how was your week? What did you do under quarantine this week? Well, I'm still working because I'm a central worker. So I'm out there every day seeing patients. Uh, and then I had the Memorial Day weekend. Got some yard work done. Got some grilling done. Sat back and relaxed and mowed the yard. How's your drywall? It's looking better. It's not very good. I'm, I'm awful at taping. Are you? It's painted. We put things in front of it. It's passable. You and I hung that. I will come over and help you finish it if you want. I might need that when the baby <laughs> comes because it looks like I have two mounds just like in between the seams. Of oh, okay. It's, it's pretty bad. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm fairly handy. We can help you. I'll, I'll help you out. I don't know if there's anything, if there's any way to come back from it, but we're going to try. We're going to try. Now, Chris... You sold your car. You got a new car last week. You sold your old car of what, 10 years? Close, 12 years. 12 years. 12 years. 2008 Mazda 3, 262,700 miles on it. I sold it to some Italian in North Buffalo for $500. Now, I know you're not a sentimental human being and that for most, I mean, from, let's call it spade a spade, you're dead inside. You can me? I love that car more than my own family. Okay, so what did you feel? Did you feel anything just watching it drive away? Yeah, it it definitely hurt because that <laughs> was like that's that that Mazda is the third car I've ever owned. I've only owned three cars, and by far the best car that I've ever owned. Nothing wrong with it under the hood. Anything I've had to do is just routine maintenance: brakes, rotors, shocks, struts, just routine maintenance. And I could not go with anything else but another Mazda. I just, I, I would have loved to have been there to watch you. I picture you standing in the middle of a parking lot watching this guy drive off like that Indian from the old, like, littering ad with the single tear rolling down your cheek. Well, I had to drive it to his house because I forgot to bring, <laughs> I forgot, yeah, I forgot cutters to cut my license plate off the front. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah, oh, I was like, I, I got to make sure I have everything. And I just I did not bring wire cutters because somebody across the street. I don't know how how precise you have to be because I have to park on the street here in South Buffalo, and I always park to the driveway with my front bumper. And this guy across the street literally 
backed into my car, but only to take the license plate holder off the front of my car. <laughs> and I had like I had like gone to Wegmans one day, and I came back to like park. I was like, oh, there's something in the there's something in the in the in the way. I'll just park one spot over. And I get out of the, my car and I look at it. I'm like, that's my license plate. And then I walk around to the front of the car. I'm like, why is my license plate holder gone? And then the guy like came over and was like, oh yeah, I hit it back backing in. It's pretty fucking precise to just hit the license plate holder, but not my bumper. Also, you hit, you hit and ran me, and then came over and apologized hours later. I'd fight you. Th- this is a fist fight. Even if I don't have a problem with you, I have to yeah. do it now because I have to set a precedent that you can't do that. It's not gonna fly in my neighborhood. I'm not gonna live in a place where people just run into each other's cars and don't say anything. <sighs> On a hilarious note, folks. NFL long snapper, friend of the show, Buffalo Bills captain, Reed Ferguson. I wonder how my week started. Get a hilarious text message from Reed. It's yeah, a, it was to, to me and you. It's a photo of Chris as a child. <laughs> yeah, I probably was 11. I had to say 11 or 12. What is the 12. context? Because you had the worst mushroom haircut. What is the context of this photo? The context of the photo is my friend Brad, who lived across the street from Reed, is in a recliner and he's holding Blake and Reed's little brother who is now the NFL long snapper drafted by the Miami Dolphins yep and Reed is like kind of on the arm of the recliner and then I'm like kneeling next to the recliner you're the farthest you're almost not even in the picture yeah you're doing everything you can be not to be close to this child yeah you know what I want you know what I was doing back in uh that was probably what 96 97 I was social distancing that's what I was doing (laughs) But my friend Brad's holding Blake, you know. I'm not going to hold that kid. I know it's playing for the Dolphins. <laughs> you, you knew even back then he was going to play for the Dolphins. You're like, I'm not touching that kid. Yeah. And then for myself, I mean, that Chris, that was hysterical. Your haircut was awful. And I'm glad to see nothing's changed. The time has not really caught up with you. Like, you, like you're steady in that way. Yeah, well, Bad haircuts across the board. Well, and I, I told you earlier, I talked to Reed today on the phone, and he had told me that his mom had found another picture of him holding up a jersey that I had of the Buffalo Stampede. And he told That's me about a callback. it. Yeah, he told me, and I, and I was like, you got to put that on Twitter, dude. And he's like, people are going to remember that? I'm like, yes, the older Twitter crowd will remember the Buffalo Stampede. We'll have to see if we can pressure him into it. So I threw myself a one-man Memorial Day party. There's social distancing. Nobody's free to do anything. You know, my, First of all, my friends stopped by. Kyle and... Kyle and Chris here were nice enough to throw me a case of diapers. I had a bunch of my friends stop by and kind of throw the drive-by honk at you, throw they some diapers at you. Threw them on the lawn? Yep. You know whose idea that was? Yours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Potter. They were like, this is how we have to do it. I go, why? Potter. Why are you just th- They're driving up, throwing them on my lawn. Potter, Potter sent out a group text about, you know, diapers from your friends that are not in the Buffalo area. And uh, for whatever reason, I was a part of that text chain. <laughs> and then I had said I had offered that idea, and he texted me privately and was like, "Davini's like trying to set up a, a diaper drop off." And so I called Davini. We exchanged numbers on Facebook. This was me being social. Look at and, you guys yeah. putting so much work in. Yeah, and I said, "I feel special." And I said, "We like t- like Saturday between two and three, just drive by Drews and just throw diapers in his yard." <laughs> that's like the most cheek to waga thing you can do and so he's like oh yeah we set up that for monday and i was like yeah drive by monday like that way you give an hour 
And if you get a bunch of people to do it, then it turns into like every 10 minutes, somebody's throwing diapers in your lawn. Like you deserve. And uh, had I known this, I would have grabbed Asher's, my son's diapers, and threw them in your yard. There's some poop in there. And, <laughs> yeah. And use, like, oh, sorry, wrong bag, you know? Use diapers. I threw myself a one man Memorial Day party, folks, and diapers, awesome. I, I, I probably had. I saw 205 on the scale for the first time since, well, the first time in my adult life. I can say that now. Well, what's an adult? You drive. So from yeah. 16 on, I saw 205 on a scale, and I celebrated by eating everything that wasn't nailed down. I literally made like half a dozen stuffed jalapenos wrapped in bacon, a half a dozen stuffed hot peppers, Italian style, uh, burgers, hot dogs. My wife made a pound and a half of macaroni salad, and I ate until I was laying in the grass, and she had to come get me to come inside. That sounds like a good time. That's an amazing time. Cheers to everybody else with your social distancing. Uh, for all of you out there listening, cheers to each and every one of you for your social distancing Memorial Days. And my day got better. Nope. Yeah, I got one question for you. How many of those diapers that were thrown on your lawn did you have to use after the fact, after eating all that? I mean, <laughs> holy cow. None yet, but I did have to dip into the supply of three-ply toilet paper. I mean, let, let's call it spade a spade. Get used to using the actual baby wipes. They are, they are comforting. And then my week got better when I heard that New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo announced that sports teams falling in the jurisdiction of New York, so we got it first, the Jets can suck it, can resume training camp activities at their leisure. Now, Chris, last week we spent a lot of time talking about how not only is the NFL a monster revenue generator, but Kim Pagula, the fact that she has a seat on that reopening advisory committee, and the fact that she's already successfully lobbied the governor for change to policy twice is probably going to bear fruit for the bills this year. It already seems to be trending that way, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So with that said, our day got a lot better. Now we have something to look forward to because it's the first sign that, hey, this thing is going to happen. It's the first real concrete step towards making a season happen, is knowing that states are going to allow the players to set foot on the field. Yeah, plus I think it's... It's too far out. I mean, everybody, all teams are going to have their specific report dates come the end of July, and those probably won't move until mid-July. No. If, if they're going to at no. all, which I don't think they will. And so with that, we can then kind of start to ask the question, what happens when we start? And one of the biggest things that impacts an NFL season is injury. It's one of the biggest questions on, or at least should be, on everybody's mind. And that's the reason we have Dr. Kyle Trimble in studio with us tonight to help us break down what's going to be looming here on the injury front, given what we've had, this unprecedented situation and kind of unprecedented shortening of the NFL offseason programs. So as we head forward and we look at both around the NFL and the Buffalo Bills, this whole thing starts back in 2017, Kyle. Back yes, it does. We first got together to do a podcast. I believe it was just on Twitter. You would, we'd, I'd kind of put feelers out there because I had a bug up my ass about soft tissue injuries. And how ever since the CBA got renegotiated and the Players Association kept getting awarded fewer contacted practices, less actual hitting drills, you know, they wanted to take the physicality out of it. And what you saw was more injuries were occurring of the soft tissue variety, tendons, ligaments. So as it started to ramp up, I'm like, somebody who knows what they're talking about, I see a trend, but I don't know how to describe it. I need someone smart who can come in here and talk to me about it. And Kyle was more than happy to step in as a complete stranger to us and sit down and have this conversation on our podcast. 
which we're going to link in the show's description for anybody who wants to go back and check it out. From that point, Kyle just became a friend of ours. I'll never forget my wife's reaction. I mean, first of all, Kyle was nice enough to bring me beer. I'm drinking Four Mile Brewing Man on the Moon IPA. I'm going to give this a whirl for the first time. Cheers, sir. Appreciate the beverage. Of course. Yeah, Four Mile Brewing is in Olean, for those that don't know. Can I keep it local? I'm not going to lie, it's a clean-tasting IPA. It doesn't have a whole lot of... F- the flavor profile isn't very varied, but it's, it's drinkable as hell. I like this. It's a hot nice, day like that, Especially for a hot something. day. Yeah, you don't want anything too heavy. That, that fits the bill, sir. Good call. All right. But this is the point. He became a friend of ours. I'll never forget, I, I invited him over for a football game in the bar in the basement of my old house. And my wife looks at me and says with a straight face, she goes, you mean, let, let me get this straight. A man that you met on the internet is coming over to our house. And I was like, I know this sounds crazy. But, just I, like, but he's he, a great guy. Yeah. He came to Chris's apartment first. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he's not a serial killer. I promise. And the look she gave me pretty much said she didn't believe me. And then fast forward a couple years later, you, you came, and came to our wedding. Yep. Now we share parties together. We hang out together. We help each other yeah. with drywall. And I helped you move your shit in the middle of a snowstorm. Absolutely. Yeah, that was fun. You And uh, you come over for away games, and then Drew makes, or at least not anymore. I mean, at the beginning, he did make your son cry. Yeah. Any, anytime, yeah. Anytime you yell. Listen, he's, he's kind of gotten over that now, so he'll just <laughs> yell back at you. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm looking forward to more of this. But so Kyle's such a good friend of mine that we started a conversation. Now, for all of you who heard him in the intro and his appearance on the Lockdown Bills podcast with Joe Marino, he recently did a show with him about the health and injury history of our rookie draft class, which seems to be in Marino's wheelhouse. I mean, Marino's the draft guy. That's how he makes his primary bones is just working for the draft network. But the idea for tonight's show kind of came together probably about a month ago. I'm hungover. And I'm just, wait, I'm laying in bed still. It's probably about 7.30 a.m. And I'm scrolling pro football talk. And I see an article about how Jets linebacker C.J. Mosley is still somehow not ready to resume cutting and agility drills. In fact, the majority of linebacker drills from the groin injury that he suffered in week one of the New York Jets season in that game against the Buffalo Bills. So I texted Kyle and I'm like, Kyle, I mean, it's early, but I figure he's got a kid. He's awake. Is this normal? Like, is it normal for a groin injury to still not be healed? What, what are we talking, 10 months now? No, not quite. Nine quite. months? I mean, he, he had the injury back in September, in week one, and then he tried playing through it, and then you know, I think halfway through, didn't get through it, had surgery in December, and we're now in early May talking about this, and he's still not ready, and that's what led to that whole question, why is this still going on? Now, in your opinion, that's not normal for it to take that long until you factor in the COVID stuff and the lack of rehab. and The COVID definitely plays a big part into that. And we don't know exactly everything that went into his injury. We know he had the uh, core muscle injury. I don't know exact details because I know there's a variety of them. So we can't just say it's you know, ACL or it's Achilles or something specific to exactly what's going on. So there's a number of different things that could lead to why there's delays in it. I definitely think that the COVID stuff does play a part into it, but I do question based on looking at uh, protocols and the timeline, why he's still not up to par, you know, almost six months out from the original surgery. Well, and I guess that's, so when you look at it through that lens, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a seemingly minor injury, 
but it was affected because potentially affected because of his lack of access to rehab, the timing of the injury, the timing of when they chose to have surgery, based on everything that's going on around the everyone, everything around the world. I was about to say the country, but it's it's everywhere. So with that said, I think it's interesting to take a look at the the scientific effects of a truncated preseason process on NFL injuries. Because this might not be the only one. I mean, it would seem that all the research you and I did together on those soft tissue injuries was essentially getting us ready to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. Now that we understand, that was us formulating, it's almost like an Avengers movie, how you watch how the group gets put together and then you see them go. We came up with this concept. I saw the data, you had the medical information of less practice time and less training time seems to equate to more significant injuries. Now that we understand that, this is the widowmaker in terms of lack of training time and lack of ther- therapy, lack of preparation. Okay, And I think through this, it's worth talking about. And anybody out there who thinks that my concerns might be a little unfounded or who don't think that this is going to be a big deal, in the show's description, I've linked a Bleacher Report article from Daniel Boggart of, uh, from Bleacher Report, September from 2000, September 2011. And he's outlining what a wreck things were for the NFL right out of the gate after a lockout-shortened offseason. You had catastrophic injuries. The season didn't even get up off the ground. And there was a lot of key players and a lot of teams hurt. There was a lot of depth players getting hurt. So, Kyle, first, just to kind of walk through this, we've already established that lack of training time really does lead to more injuries. What types of injuries? I mean, because they're not all made the same. I mean, obviously, an ACL tear is much different than a quad pull or a hamstring pull. I mean, you have the nagging variety and the more devastating variety. In terms of the lighter injuries, the, the, the hamstrings, the groins, the quads, aren't those things dictated by flexibility? No, not really. It's going to be dictated by how much load you're putting through those muscles, okay. how much strength you have, um, what you're asking that muscle to do. It's uh, Flexibility is... A, a component of everything that you're doing, but you don't have to be more flexible, which makes you more athletic. You have to be able to to get what you need out of that muscle. So when you're bench pressing or squatting, or whatever, being flexible might allow you to go down farther, but you still need to you know recruit the muscle fibers you need to in order to push that load up more effectively. And the more that you're able to do that more effectively, the greater likelihood you'll reduce injury by doing that activity properly. So you know, flexibility is just, it might help So it doesn't out. really play that much. So No, it might might help you avoid maybe, you know, uh, the joint torque or stuff like that. Like, let's say a hip or, you know, you can knee, but mm-hmm. you're, you're not trying. It's not like the more flexible you are, the less injuries you're going to have. You're going to want to make sure that the muscles and the joints can withstand the loads that you're putting through it rather than make sure it's flexible. Because the more stable a joint is, the stronger it's going to be. Okay. So then... Is this something, because you're talking about strength being kind of the key here, muscle strength, do you think that at the pro level in terms of NFL competition, is this something that without guidance from professionals, obviously the players prep in the way that they do, but is this something you can prepare for on your own without guidance from from a professional in a camp setting? Yes and no. And I say yes and no because I know that there are protocols out there and guidelines and you know just all sorts of different materials out there that for the team 
sends out say, hey, this is what we want you to follow. Uh, Google, you know, um, strength and conditioning programs, NFL, and I found New York Giants one from 2013, and I found a uh, one from Houston Texans back in Don when, back when Don Capers uh, was coaching. So I'm not sure what that timeline was, but it, the New York Giants one was pretty basic. It went from December till uh, April, and the Texans one was like 70 pages long. Like, oh, that's what want. I saw. I was like, yeah, that, that was intense. So it's like you can't tell me that they don't have guidance. They don't know what to do. But I think back to when you're working on your own or working out with a team, which are you going to work out harder in? And this mm-hmm. goes for any person and any athletics, anything, anywhere. You're going to work harder when you're with somebody because not necessarily you want to show off, but you're going to have that accountability. And you're going to have somebody either guiding you if you have a strength and conditioning coach or if you're working out with somebody, they're going to hold you accountable to make sure you can complete the workout. Because it's easy to take that last rep. Oh, I'll go, you know, half acid, or, or you know, I'll just kind of go through the motions there. But mm-hmm. you need, especially at that level, and you're playing at the highest level, you need every ability and every resource possible to help maximize what you're able to do. Otherwise, you can kind of just go through the motions and say you did it. So those are nagging injuries. There's some really devastating. I'm talking the types of injuries that land players on IR. Talking your A, you know, your ACL, PCL, MCL tears, and your Achilles tears. Of those types of injuries, which which have you found to be tied most closely to not having a proper training regimen or not having your muscles conditioned the way they should be? According to what the research shows, especially after 2011 lockout, the Achilles is definitely the biggest concern there. I mean, you don't see a ton of those every year. But uh, there's some papers I had found that showed that the Achilles tears after the 2011 lockout uh, increased fourfold. And so they usually have about five or six a year, they said prior. And then they had up to 12 or 13 just in that preseason alone. So I'm not saying that we're going to see more Achilles injuries this year because of the truncated uh, preseason. But there's a possibility of that because guys are going to be trying to ramp up. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of that stuff on but there's also a difference between 2011 and now. Right now, we have access to the resources, whereas in 2011, they couldn't touch you know they couldn't touch that stuff because they weren't allowed to talk per the contract. So that's true. Hopefully, okay, it's so, less. so that that gives them something of an advantage from a league standpoint. Teams are still able to communicate with their players to at least talk them through proper. T- You're talking about Achilles, as you say it. I'm, I'm immediately thinking of Des Bryant. Exactly what I was thinking of, too. Des Bryant comes off the couch to try to make the Saints roster, and within his first day of practice, I think it was? I think it was his first day of practice. First, first second. Practice, it was very early on. He's he just signed a contract and... Tears his ACL. Just, Achilles. Just, Achilles. 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 Yeah. Tears his Achilles just running routes because your muscles aren't conditioned properly. Now, the fear for everybody is that these are the things that will rob you of talented players, which you need in order to compete in the NFL. Now, when we talk about... So then it just becomes a question of how have you prepared? It's clear Des Bryant didn't prepare his body for that tryout. No. And he paid the price for it. I mean, he got the contract, but I mean, he paid for it later. So. <laughs> Whatever that's worth. Yeah. I don't think there was any guaranteed money tied to it. So now I'm reminded, because I'm thinking about individual players in the preparation. And I'm thinking about the first time, Chris, when I hosted that Legends and Stars signing event at Batavia Downs. And I got to interview Bill's Wall of Famer Fred Smurless. Mm-hmm. First of all, great guy, other than the fact that he's from Boston and loves him some Patriots. I want 
Now that I know that, I'm lukewarm on the guy. I, I, mean, I shouldn't say that. Great <laughs> player for the Bills during my lifetime. It's his accent, too. But man, does it accent. And he has the Boston accent, which drives me crazy. <laughs> but in our conversation, because I'm, you know, Chris, I'm pretty good at interviewing, I'm try- or at least asking questions that will get a reaction. Yes. So I asked him a question about preparedness in today's NFL versus what the, the old days were. You know, back in the day. And he laughed saying that in the 80s, you didn't start training until your first day of training camp. That was it. He goes, oh, he goes, what, what training? He goes, what training? He goes, I was on a boat. I was on a boat. I was yeah. on a boat hanging out, enjoying my life. Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger's trying to bring that kind of training back. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger, according to Jay Glazer, doesn't belong in the same sentence as the word fitness, which is hysterical to me. Even back in the late 60s, Len Dawson, that picture of him smoking in the locker room as soon as the Super Bowl was over. He's like, all right, it's over. Light me up. Because that's what it was. You played the game when the game was being played, and then the season ended. You just were a normal guy who just had a bunch of money in your pocket. Today's NFL athletes are very, very clearly different. Whether it's watching Devin Singletary do those drills where he's running up and down a stone and dirt hillside, doing agility drills. Chris, my hamstrings hurt just watching that stuff. Yeah, you step on a, on a rock wrong and blow out uh, your Achilles. <laughs> and then whatever the hell Stefan Diggs was doing in that one, I'm sure by now you've all seen the video. I'm going to retweet it. It almost looks, he's using those like rubberized cables and it looks like he's throwing his entire, it looks like he's purposely trying to fall on his face. I don't know what the drill is supposed to do. I, I, I don't know if anyone knows. Tweet at us at Rockpile Report. But NFL players are doing all sorts of things on their own on a routine basis to hone their craft and prepare their bodies. So they're all training, but that doesn't mean it's safe. And that doesn't mean that it's effective. I mean, think about Kiko Alonso. Fresh off the rookie season that had him being, I mean, he had his own segment on SportsCenter because the, the legend of Kiko Alonso, I mean, he was talked about around the country. Tears his ACL working out on his own. You look at the Saints. They just lost a newly signed pass rusher, Noah Spence, to an ACL tear that he suffered while training at home. In your professional opinion, Kyle, what are some things that may make some some players better at training on their own than others? What are some things that you think leads to more successful training? I mean, does experience play a role here? I mean, it has to, right? That was the first thing on my tongue was experience was understanding what you have to do to prepare and be ready and not trying to jam it all in at once there. When uh, I had interviewed Reed Ferguson, long snapper of the Bills, last year, he had gone over his workout plan for the offseason, and he talked about how he took a little time off, which I think is definitely necessary, but then he got right back into it and started loading back up slowly and just kind of ratcheting things up, but he wasn't trying to do everything all at once. Even though he plays a position that has unique skills that do you really need to be training all the time over the time frame that he said? I don't know. Probably not. But he knows that in order to be ready for the season, he needs to do that stuff now so that he's ready and there's not any question about it. Because all it takes is for somebody to do what he's doing and he sits on the couch and does nothing and he loses his job. So there's that accountability to make sure that he knows what he has to do, but also make sure that his body is prepared for when he steps out there. So experience definitely plays a part into that. And then just knowing what your roles on the team are. So if you're going to be running you know, special team, for example, you're going to want to be working more on speed, let's say. Or if you're working more on you know, 
field goal blocking. You're going to maybe want to do more jumping and try and get your, your arms up higher. There's a number of different things you can, you know, take off of that and, and try to figure out how it plays into those uh, roles. But you can't just get off the couch and say, well, I'm going to train hard for two weeks and get back at it. I mean, it just it just doesn't <laughs> work like that. I mean, that's why you see those weekend war injuries. You need to make sure that you maintain a chronic high workload so that you can make sure that you can adapt your body to it rather than trying to, you know, acutely jump up there and then, you know, wonder why you're so sore or you're having injuries because your body can't accept that workload. That's why they talk about the running backs, you know, worried about having high workloads in college come to the NFL. Well, they have lower injury risk because their body's used to that. So, I mean, there's a number of different things, but experience comes to play. Um, and then just having that guidance, like we were talking about before, you want to make sure that somebody who's been there before to say, Hey, here's how it's done. It might be a little bit different for each position, but this is what you want to do for this position to maximize your success. How do you think I just go from one hockey league to four? I take like two weeks off and I come back hard, four leagues, playing four nights a week. It's roller hockey. It's roller hockey. You're not even putting pants. Oh my God. Kyle, I'm glad you're here. Because if you weren't and he was sitting in your chair, I might actually reach over and shake him. I, I was trying to think of a good like, <laughs> one-liner. I didn't have anything because it's not as quick. But you play roller hockey. That's that's probably yeah. the best thing about it. I mean, you're you're playing, yeah, playing you, roller hockey. People yeah, on skating. Twitter saw the video, Chris. You can barely do 13 push-ups. If you were to try to ramp up from that, I would be afraid to see what happened to you. But but to your point. I dug into the numbers, and it seems that when you look at quote-unquote training on their own type injuries, the percentage of players hurt in that manner is heavily skewed towards players who have three or fewer years of NFL experience under their belt. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also, the, obviously, there's a high percentage of older players, but you don't see that many. If you have a player who's been in the league for 10 years... You never hear about them getting hurt training for the offseason before the season starts because they know what it takes. So what that means is that teams that are relying on contributions from young players, they have to be careful about this coming into this season because some of these kids are going to be at, they could be their own worst enemy in the sense that they don't know how to get their bodies ready. They've never had to, there was no rookie minicamp. So you're, your position coaches have never gotten FaceTime with them. Your physical trainers have never gotten FaceTime with these young kids. And even if they have, if let's say it's one off season, that doesn't get, look at Kiko Alonso, it doesn't mm-hmm. guarantee that you still know enough to make what is an NFL training program routine. And so in that way, this is dangerous. But when you look at the Bills, we currently only have 25 players on the roster with one or fewer years of NFL experience. And of those guys, there's only two of them, Moss and Epinesa, who are probably going to be looked at as players who have to play a significant role for us in 2020. I mean, how much does that experience on the roster play in terms of preparing their bodies and almost make you feel better about the way the Bills look in that regard? They were the most prepared for this lockout, or not lockout, this this pandemic, I think, compared to maybe there's a few other teams out there that, that could have probably compared to them. As just as well as being prepared for this. They have that veteran leadership. They have that uh, continuity that we see that we don't have to worry about them trying to get a whole bunch of new guys up to speed. Well, you sent me a link to an article, Sports Illustrated. They did an interview with Sean McDermott. Yeah, yeah. And they had said that, you know, they, they have that accountability. They have the ability to make sure that they can get people up and ready to 
just they're ready to go so that there's not any worry about them overtraining or that um, you know they have Josh Allen, Tremaine Evans still calling and make sure that they are, are keeping up with things. He, so, he was talking to Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated talking about how he Sean McDermott prides himself on the fact that he's built that accountability, mm-hmm. that he knows he's got his team captains keeping tabs on the other players in the offseason to make sure they're doing what's necessary. Well, yeah, look, what, look what's happened over the last uh, two weeks. You have Reed and Blake, Blake rookie, has been working with Tyler ba- Tyler Bass, rookie, and Vedvik, who's got one year, or barely a year. I don't even know if he finished a year on an NFL team. So you have team captain, Reed Ferguson, working with all these young players down in Georgia. Yeah. That's, and, and, and they've cultivated those types of players. And Sean McDermott's gone out of his way to build that type of environment. And it's interesting when you think about that in terms of when you want to talk about young players and having injury problems in good times. Look at Sammy Watkins. He's a perfect example. That recent interview he did with Tyler Dunn. That was mind-blowing to read. He admits that he wasn't ready to be an NFL football player. He partied too much, didn't take care of his body, and didn't do the work that was required to be an NFL football player. And the result was that his career here in Buffalo was just a string of nagging injuries. Constant nagging injuries that robbed him of his ability to make an impact on the field. So... In that article, when he says that Sean McDermott had a quote-unquote bad energy towards Watkins, that's not hard to fathom. Think about it. Think about this like you're an employer, and you show up, and you have an employee who you know has talent, but you you know, because you see through the bullshit, and you know that he's not applying himself. You know he's lazy. You know that he's not doing the right things. You know that he's drinking a ton. You know he's not showing up for training the way he should. Is Chippewa even open on a Wednesday night? You're going to have a lot of negativity towards that employee. It's not hard to fathom that Sean McDermott would see Sammy Watkins as this type of guy. In fact, if anything, maybe that's what made him expendable in the eyes of this team. With Sean McDermott coming in and saying, look, this is the guy that I can't have on this team, I'll win with guys who aren't Sammy Watkins. Because his talent level doesn't justify what his existence on this roster for what I'm trying to build. Because you can't be hurt. You have to be available. And to be available, you have to be willing to put the work in. That's what I take away from this now, looking at all of this. And I have to wonder how many of these young kids coming out of the draft or who have been drafted over the last two or three years who aren't playing for strong organizations are going to fall into that gap. I think there's going to be a lot of them. I think that's why the Bills are positioned perfectly to come out of this very well, very healthy, compared to some other places. I just don't think that you have accountability with some of these uh, other NFL programs or the ones that had new coaches hired recently. Like They just didn't have time to get that program set mm-hmm. in place there. So I mean, it's scary. And even some of the veteran coaches are having a hard time figuring out how they want to approach this. I mean, Saturday, Pro Football Talk, uh, Sean Payton of the Saints did an interview, I think it was with uh, Michael Lombardi, and he was talking about how even if training camp were to open up tomorrow, he wouldn't put any of his veteran players out there for conditioning or training. What do you think of that approach? Saying, listen, I'm going to shelter my veterans. Now, here we are talking about the need to ramp up. You have a veteran coach who says, look, I still subscribe to the theory that minimizing workload is the right way. Do you think there's some danger in that? You got to worry about that. That I, I don't think he's going to say, "Let's go do 50 wind sprints and let's you know work you to death," you know, just to try to weed you out. I, he's not trying to do that. But I think he realizes, "Hey, my guys know what it takes to to perform at a high level." Peyton's or Sean Payton's been doing it for what almost 15 years now down mm-hmm. in New Orleans. 
So to see him say, my guy's not on repair, I'm not going to put my veterans out there, he's not going to worth risk an injury so that he can say, okay, we have to do this stuff. If I, mean, I know he's one of the few programs that said there's not going to be any OTAs be ready to show for training camp. I mean, that's, that's a vote of confidence. And, of course, Sean Payton has the credentials to back that statement up, saying be ready for training camp. I shouldn't have to tell you what to do. And then from a rehab standpoint, Rehab, obviously, like we're talking about like guys like Harrison Phillips, guys who had an injury, they're rehabbing throughout the course of the season. Now they're trying to get up to speed to make themselves available for when the NFL inevitably gets churning again. What, I guess in a truncated offseason like this, where you, you don't really have open facilities. I mean, facilities just opened a week or two ago. There's obviously Zoom. You can communicate over these different... But guys like Harrison Phillips can't get in front of the Bills training staff. Actually, the I Bills think they, they might be able to if they're, if they're if they're already in town. I believe they can. I think that's been like because they would treat that as like an outpatient PT. But before this, there. but up to this point, like when was the when did that start being a thing that players were allowed to do? Because I'm assuming that there's a lot of players who got hurt towards the end of last year who are like the C.J. Mosleys of the world. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some bleed over there. I think as long as they've been in contact with that, that PT the entire time, they can still continue on. And that's been kind of the exception because they can kind of work one-on-one and do things like that there. But, you know, they're not going to have the whole, you know, rehab facility loaded up because guys want to work on certain injuries. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's guys that, that travel all over the country to, you know, do off-season stuff. So I think it's where you lose some of that stuff. You're almost better off staying in town, as in the case, I believe, Harrison Phillips did do that. So... Um, there's nothing stopping people from getting PT. Because I know, like, for example, even with this uh, COVID stuff right now, outpatient clinics have still been open. They've just had to significantly reduce how many people they've been seeing. So PT hasn't stopped, me being one of them, a home, uh, home health physical therapist, but there are certain precautions it takes. So um, I, I'm willing to bet somebody like C.J. Mosley, because he played for Baltimore for a number of years, right? So he's yep. probably down Baltimore. You know, this happened, and, uh, you know, whether he's working with somebody private out there or just, I'm not sure what his situation was, but he might have a different situation that couldn't allow him access to the New York Jets trainers versus Harrison Phillips. Hey, I'm going to hang out here. Oh, good, this happened, or bad, whichever way you want to look at it, but I can still continue to get my rehab, and I've been through this before. I can at least still continue on. Okay. See, and so then in that way, it sounds like, but there again, you're talking about veteran presence, understanding what rehab takes. Oh, yeah. So it just sounds like young players, without a lot of experience, both rehabbing their bodies physically and training themselves to get up to speed, are really going to have a hard time coming out of this. Absolutely. And the previous lockout kind of illustrates that even in a shorter situation, albeit different, because to your point, they could communicate with the players, things might be a little bit easier. This time around, but still, you have. But there again, in 2011, they didn't have the reduced practice time that we currently have. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds. But now you understand a little bit of where my head's at in terms of my fears regarding NFL injuries. This allows me to get into the kind of the the part that for most of you who blanked out because you're like, well, this is all just science speak. And I kind of want to lay down and die or zone out. Just zone out into the car in front of me or whatever have you. (laughs) This is where your your ears will hopefully perk up because there's another component to this. Outside of the rehab and the training and everything else, there's a broader conversation to be had here about the idea of quote-unquote snake-bit football teams when it comes to injuries. 
and just how culpable the people who run the show for these organizations are. Now, Kyle, one of the coolest things you did in the part of this, whether you know it or not, there's a couple things you did here. Okay. You sent me down a couple different rabbit holes. The first one was that you sent me copies of the Giants strength and conditioning like training program and that Dom Capers Houston Texans mm-hmm. training program. And they couldn't have been more different. Exactly. One was a pamphlet, and one was War and Peace. Mm-hmm. 68 pages versus what, like 12? Something like that. And the Texans one went into details why you're doing this stuff. It wasn't just do this, do that. It was this is why we're doing this stuff, and this is why you... It explains everything. I think if you explain something to somebody, they're more likely to follow through with that. Now, I have to go back and look at when Dom Capers was the coach. I know he had some rough goes at it, but... I believe they started making the playoffs around the time that he was there, right? Yes. And here's another another thing. So when I see this and I see the disparity between the design of off-season programs from one coach coaching staff and one medical staff to the next, do you things have to it's it's probably reasonable to project that things are still that varied as of today, right? Very likely. Every team and every medical group and every strength and training program is different. Based on who runs the show, what guys are put at the head strength and, head of strength and conditioning, the head coach, how they view training practices, how they view team building, how they essentially what values you're trying to instill in your players, it's going to value from one coach to the next. That ties in to the other thing that you sent you when you gave that to me. You can't do this to me, Kyle. <laughs> when you give me stats and numbers, I mean this is what I do with a live for a living. So I went down a rabbit hole about football outsiders and its adjusted games lost scores. One thing that has proven itself to be clear over time is that health of a team and team success are generally speaking tied together. Every year football outsiders releases this list of adjusted games lost scores for every team across the NFL. What it does is when you, Think about the idea of man games lost. It's a metric that shows you how many players missed how many games. And, Kyle, that's usually pretty telling on its own, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But what Football Outsiders does is they take it a step further. And they also try to give a weighted average to different designations of injury. Whether it's questionable, doubtful, regardless of whether they played or not, there's a weighted average assigned to each of these tags. Because the idea is to give you a number that represents the overall health of a football team. Whether you were a healthy team this year or not. If you're just looking at man games lost, let's say every week you had seven players that were questionable, but they all played. That wouldn't show up. But that doesn't mean that those players are playing at 100%. So this number carries a little more weight than just the man games lost metric. It's not rocket science. Chris, any team can have a bad year. And you can look at it and say, well, injuries played a role, right? Yes. How many teams here locally have we watched get derailed by injuries and you're like, okay, well, that's why the season sucked. Everyone got hurt. I can remember, I can probably remember you, uh, was it the year that we drafted Reggie Ragland because he blew out his knee. I want to say we had like three or four knee blowouts that year. We did. There was a lot. There were a lot. And then you look at that year and think to yourself, what could have been if our team had been healthy that year? Now, none of this is groundbreaking. But what this thing does that is groundbreaking is that it gives you the ability to track injury levels year over year. I was just telling Kyle before we started recording. What I love to do, in a vacuum, analytics are cute. 
That's why pro football focus to me is kind of a joke. I mean, they have some numbers that you can look at and say, okay, that's meaningful. But then some of them are just, it's happenstance. And you can twist some analytics to tell a story depending on what you want the narrative to be. What I like about this specific, or really any analytic metric, is that you can take a step back and take a macro look. Once you've aggregated enough data over the course of years, and you can do trend analysis. That's where, I, that's where I thrive. And when you step back and use this adjusted games loss metric, you start to see some real trends form here. And you start to see that there's certain head coaches who incur more injury, and, and their staffs, and that's what's important. These are the guys who maintain their training staffs and their strength guys, and they, they take all their back office guys with them every time they get a job. And you realize that this may be more of a contributing factor to their players being hurt in large numbers than just, quote-unquote, bad luck. Football Outsiders charted every single coach from 2002 to 2016 that had three or more years as a head coach. And when I break that all down, here's some interesting trends. Just in terms of wins and losses, outside of the longtime coach Tom Coughlin, falling into the top 10 because Tom Coughlin's a dinosaur. He was 13 years. Chris, that's unheard of. Him and Belichick probably were the most tenured head coaches. Jeff Fisher's up there. Those guys, their records, you almost have to throw them out the window a little bit because they've been around so long. But outside of Tom Coughlin, only three of the players falling in the top 10 for the highest adjusted uh, games lost are still coaching. And only half of the top 10 received contract extensions after their first year. Now, Kyle, does that speak to, hey, we're a coach. We put together what we think is a good crew. And what we were trying to achieve just from a health perspective just blew up in our faces. I, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know how else to answer that. I mean, <laughs> Gus Bradley. Yeah. Gus Bradley's on that list. He had the Jaguars team that Doug Marone inherited. I forgot he was an actual head coach. Yeah. He got the job, and Doug Marone, like the vulture he is, showed up, signed there to be the assistant head coach, knowing that Gus Bradley was going to get fired. I don't know if he made him that far. I think he was the assistant offensive line coach. I no. think he was, uh, he was He signed out. up to be OL coach, but with the mandate that he would okay, sign if gotcha. it was the assistant, because he, knew, he smelled blood in the water. Mm-hmm. He knew Bradley was going to get fired, and as the assistant head coach, you get first crack at the, yep. at the job. So he gets in the building. Knowing Bradley's got a bad record, he's about to get fired. He takes over the same roster, but then when Bradley gets fired, he kicks the strength and training camp, uh, the whole strength and training crew mm-hmm. out of the building, replaces them with his own people, brings in his own training philosophies, brings in his the way he wants practices to operate. That team goes to the AFC, the AFC title game. What, two or three years into his career there? Uh, Yeah. The only thing I remember about that is the following year you picked them to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, that blew up my face. I ended up drinking the Seagrams. The Jaguars can't do any... Doug Doug Marone hates me. I remember trying to talk you out of it by saying, you're telling me that you're going to pick Doug Marone and Nate Hackett over Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels. And you went, yes. All right, you're on your own. Hubris. Hubris. You're on your own. Another interesting takeaway from analyzing all this data is that Houston Texans coach, you want to talk about Dom Capers. Dom Capers had this expansive 68-page manual that told his players not just how to get healthy, but why. Why these exercises are important. Both mental, physical, 
yeah, teamwork. Here's how we're going to function as a unit. Dom Capers, from his time in Houston, didn't make it into the top 40 for this injury metric. Like, I know that if, you, if, you, if they take it and extrapolate it back to when he was coaching, he, never, he wouldn't have landed in the top 40. Because his teams, while not being that successful, weren't hurt. They were just not talented. That was their problem. When you look at Bill O'Brien, the new Texans head coach, he holds the second highest average among active head coaches in the NFL behind Mike Zimmer. And when you look at Mike Zimmer of the Vikings, his numbers are inflated because, Chris, think about what's happened in the NFL. The Vikings had two years back-to-back, not back-to-back, but kind of tent-pulled over the course of a couple, where their whole team just got decimated by injury. Yeah, Dalvin Cook. I remember there was a Sam Bradford as their cornerback, quarterback. They it was a Thursday night football game against the Cowboys. They were down to n- no starting offensive lineman from week one. Some of the guys were practice squad call ups, and it got so bad because two more guys got hurt during the game, who were second and third stringers that they had to run every single play of that game out of the shotgun because their team couldn't pass protect long enough for him to take a three-step drop. So you look at Mike Zimmer and you say, okay, he's had these terrible injury seasons, but in between them, he's gone, He's had playoff runs. He beat the Saints at home, what, last year? Yeah, a year or two ago. Okay. I mean, miracle, he, he but went to still. The, he went to the NFC title game. Yep, farther than we've been. He's done things. When you look at Bill O'Brien, what has Bill O'Brien accomplished? Besides every year, field the team that sort of sucks at defense and just gets hurt by week 10, their whole team is beat up. Yeah, they don't have an offensive line. No, everyone just keeps getting hurt. And what does that say, Chris, to you as just a casual fan who says, well, this team used to be healthy. Hearing this information, like, hey, there's coaches out there who do have highly injured teams. But the good coaches find a way to make them competitive. And yet, here's this guy with a team that's always hurt, and he's also never come close to winning anything. Yeah, and then on, on top of that, then you, with your injuries, and not being good at, at a, like their offensive line has always been bad, so then they take their farm and throw it to Miami to get <laughs> consult, and it still doesn't work. You get desperate. Yeah. And then... To, to speak to that about good coaching, Bill Belichick, he falls into the top 15 for coaches over the course of that span of time from 2000 to 2016 for average games lost to injury. But you throw at him the combination of a Hall of Fame quarterback and the fact that he's probably one of the best coaches to ever do it. He's the only head coach outside of Tom Coughlin falling in the top 15 of this, this metric to win a Super Bowl but also has the most impressive win to win rate win to loss ratio of 185 and 55. That's disgusting. For being one of the more injured teams in football. Now it's interesting because you look at the recent Patriots teams. Injuries have started to take a toll. As Tom Brady stopped being upper echelon, you know, top 5 every year quarterback Tom Brady. Last year Tom Brady was slightly above average. That, can we agree on that here at the table? Yeah. yeah. Tom Brady's slightly above average. They got beat up over the course of that season, and I think injuries started to take a toll, and you watched a team just... A team wear down that had everything to lose at home in their final game against the Dolphins, and they still take the L. I, I think that says more about 
what Belichick is without a Hall of Fame quarterback, and this injury history, which almost makes me question his approach. Now, Kyle, we talk about varying approaches to head coaching. You've got Belichick, who's been renowned as just this no-nonsense drill surgeon. You have players who now in recent history, Cassius Marsh is a guy who I know nobody knows for anything he's done on the field because he's not great. He was on last year's San Francisco team. And he's kind of bounced around the NFL. He was with the Seahawks. He's a, he's a white outside linebacker. He's a tweener. He's not anything special. He came out publicly and said he despised his time with the Patriots because there was no fun in the building. It was all business all the time. They were cold. Jonas Gray, the running back who famously went off one week and then got benched and was never heard of again. He talked about how in those halls it was very political. And it wasn't about on the field. And it wasn't an inclusive environment. And the staff didn't really provide a lot of direction. They give you a mandate and you meet it or you fail. Do you think some of that leads to what you're seeing in the injury numbers for the New England Patriots? I mean, it doesn't sound like they're taking a holistic approach the way some football teams have in trying to be inclusive and getting guys to buy into this idea of you have to be prepared. Instead of being, hey, let's prepare so that you can be accountable to the guy next to you, it sounds like be prepared or else. Or else I'll yell at you because I'm Bill Belichick. I think it's been next man up for so long and they've always had that steady presence of Tom Brady in the middle that they can just keep doing that. But yeah, I don't know that I'd want to work for an employer that has that approach. I mean that would wear on you after a while where you're just like, okay, do you really care about me or is this all about wins? I understand at the end of the day, Belichick and the whole the whole point is to win, but you still want to be a part of something and you still want to know that somebody cares about you when, you, if something happens to you, you don't want to just be like, oh, okay. You know, do you work later. harder when you think your boss actually likes you? Absolutely. I know I do. Absolutely. Craig, if you're listening, yeah. <laughs> I work harder because I know I don't want to disappoint the guy that (laughs) – because it's the guy I report to. I don't want to disappoint that guy because I like him. And I like where I'm at and I like the company I work for. So I'm going to give them whatever I have. There's always – there's a a quote that I – everyone's favorite sports host, Colin Cowherd, says, which is uh, when he talks about, you know, people in jobs, he says, chase good management, not the money. Exactly. Yes. And so that's where you look at this and you say teams like the Patriots, who now they don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback. And it's going to be really interesting in this injury-truncated season to see what happens to him. Now, because I'm a masochist, I did what every Bills fan probably would do, and I used this chart to look up drought-era Bills coaches. And what I found made me want to vomit. I wanted puke! I wanted to throw things. At one point, my wife is like, why are you pacing? I'm like, I'm pacing because... I don't think our coaches were very good. She goes, well, they didn't make the playoffs. Doesn't that mean they weren't good? And I got so mad, not even at her, but just at the line of questioning that I had to go outside. <laughs> it's like, I got to go outside and walk this off in the yard. It's going to get worse once you have a kid. So oh, Jesus. Just letting you know. Here's what I found. Dick Duran, Chan Gailey, and Rex Ryan for this AGL metric fall into the top 30. They're all in the top 30. And despite Rex Ryan ranking 30th out of the top 30 with an average injury score of 54.8, if you take away his years with the Jets, where he was successful, Mm -hmm. the dude went to two AFC title games. If you take that out of the equation and only look at his time with the Buffalo Bills, his average score was 89.1, which actually puts him close to Bill O'Brien territory. 
That's brutal. Chris, those three head coaches make up almost a decade of playoffless football, and regardless of what you want to say about the players on those teams, the talent, the wide receivers, the quarterbacks, I get it. From a talent standpoint, those teams weren't good, but they were never healthy either. We were an elephant graveyard of a football team. <sighs> Accidents happen. Some injuries are freak things. Yep. They're never Kyle, what was it, Kevin Cobb? Yeah. Slipping on a plastic mat in the tunnel. These things are going to happen, and you're never going to be able to take that out of the game of football. But when you take a macro look at the history involved, and you start, you just start to get the feeling that their coaching style is, and the skill of the training and medical staff plays such a bigger role than I ever gave it credit for into injury history and how players prepare. And that feeds directly into team success. Now, you did some research when it came to the AFC East on this, right? Yeah, I did. The um, you know, Looking at the overall injuries, the Bills were one of the healthiest teams, not just in AFC East, but in you know football in general. They only had 91 total games lost on you know injured reserve, and uh, they had 58% of their guys who were questionable suiting up and actually playing. Compared to the Patriots, they have 72% of their questionable guys played, and their man games lost was 180, according to what the um, pro football reference. Jets were 93% of their questionable players played, 161 guys missed on IR, and then Dolphins were 66% and 174. So all these numbers pretty much doubled of uh, what the Bills are, but you have widely varying records. You have 12-4 and four with the Patriots, 7-9 with the Jets, 5-11 with the Dolphins. So, you know, injuries did play a part into it, but... They're not the whole story. Exactly, exactly. They're not the whole story. But then I look at some things that happen, and you say, how are you as a coaching staff still around? You've got Cordy Glenn's mixed, misdiagnosed uh, concussion in Cincinnati. You've got the Saints team doctors. You sent me those articles. Mm-hmm. Getting, team doctors getting fired because they weren't diagnosing injuries correctly. Mm-hmm. Washington had a standout left tackle in his prime essentially say, fuck you, I'm not ever putting on a Washington Redskins jersey again. Which, hey... I don't, I don't care if every Redskins player takes that stance because Dan Snyder is a scumbag. I'll hate that man for... he's Chris, if we were keeping a list of the five people that I'd like to put a bullet in the leg of, Dan Snyder is on that list. That's how much I don't like him. And I do like how you reference the leg. That way it's you know, non-threatening. Because it's not attempted murder. Yeah, it's not a felony. <laughs> I learned that from the Chappelle show. <laughs> but Washington's handling of Trent Williams is like... He's, what was it, it almost died. He had a growth on his head that turned out to be cancerous, and he had this for a few years, and they were like, oh, not a big deal, not a big deal, and it kept on getting worse, and he's like, what the hell? And he found out it was a rare form of cancer, so that's why he was so upset with them. I think And he said, fuck this, would. I quit this team right now. I will not ever play another snap for you. D- these guys aren't cattle. They're people. And when you have a bad medical group, that's the type of stuff that can happen. I mean, just look at the, the crown jewel of this conversation is New York Jets coach Adam Gase. He, gets, he takes a lot of shit for his lack of preparedness on game day. And he has just the fact that he has problems putting together game plans that don't pan out. I mean, he's not prepared whatsoever. But he's quietly one of the worst coaches in the NFL when it comes to fielding healthy teams. Chris, you know I love charts. In front of you is a chart that I made. That is Adam Gase's career laid out in AGL 
rankings. 2016 with Miami, AGL score 99.1, rank 26. 17 with Miami, AGL score 115.5, rank 30th. 2018 Miami Dolphins, AGL score of 95.3, rank 22nd. And then 2019, the Jets, AGL score 160.1, 32nd in the NFL. 160 games lost. Can we run those numbers and compare them with teams that play in the CFL? (laughs) (laughs) See, you know, a lot of people, one of the things that I've heard from Gase defenders, yes, Bills fans, they exist. There are people in the... Sean Fahey? Chris... Did you see me like last week on Twitter going back and forth with a guy who was def- willing to go to the mat and probably to the grave for Adam Gase as the head coach of the New York Jets? And I'm like, how? Maybe this that's is- his new burner account. <laughs> Maybe that's his new burner. Everyone wanted to give Gase a pass for the year Tannehill was injured. But every single year Gase has had a headset on, his teams are in terrible health. And that ballooned on him last year in New York where he put up the second highest AGL score ever recorded by football outsiders. Ever. Going back to all the way to the early 2000s. So throughout the season, there were stories popping up about his staff's handling of injuries and injured players. The most notable being that very public fight with the offensive guard, Coleccio Semele. Mm-hmm. The player and his agent had to go public with the idea that, hey, my player is so hurt. Every week they're listing him as questionable and then he sits out. He needs to be on IR so that he can get the rehab and just focus on that and getting him his body ready to play the game of football again. What do you have, ro- Kyle, what do you have, rotator cuff? Tore his labrum and his shoulder. So he has a torn shoulder labrum. And he and his agent are essentially telling the team, look, we're hurt. I'm hurt. I need help. I need help, and it's not. there's no rehab that's going to fix this. I need to go on IR. And instead of listening to him, the team refuses and spends from September to late October not just fighting him about it, but you have Adam Gase going out into press conferences and actively chiding him, talking shit about a hurt player on his roster, about how he just must not want it enough. How fucking tone deaf. Adam Gase is tone deaf. I mean, look at him. I mean, everything he does is tone deaf. And I pulled the Washington Post article that I sent you, and it's it's over the stupidest, stupidest reason, too, because all the NFL teams, they have a database. They can go and look at the medical records. So, like, they track all this stuff because it's still, you know, an employer at the end of the day. And the, the, I'm going to read exactly this from the article. That's enough of a conflict over the injury. The Jets team's doctor and an independent physician believe that the injury is preexisting. Assembly disagreed, saying that he received treatment and anti-inflammatory drugs over the first three weeks of the season. So, uh, looking at that, they, they questioned when this injury was occurring. You know, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you get in a car accident, oh well, that's that's messed up. Wait, no, that was there before. There's oh, always your a neck hurt before you got yeah. hurt by the car, and you're just using this as an excuse. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. But either these way, guys, you already paid the guy. Yeah, you, you paid the guy, and contract. they did the physical before. So, like, how did you not know yeah. this was existing? Like, exactly. It's just, how did your doctors misdiagnosing this and allow him to set foot on a football field for you and then turn around and say, oh, he's faking it? And then they're still treating him. So if you start treating him, then that becomes your property once you lay nice. hands on him. So it's like, just take just take it and deal with it. If the guy can't play through it, I mean, we saw it happen with Jack Lawson. We, we drafted him. He had a torn labrum. Oh, this is a problem. They could have gone back to Clemson and say, you have to fix it. This is your problem. No, they took responsibility, at least fixed it, and he went and played. Because that's what you do. 
And instead, Adam Gase somehow doesn't think that he... Adam, not just Adam Gase, but Adam Gase and the people that he's hired to be his head of training staff, his mm-hmm. medical staff, he and his cronies are the ones who are driving this. It's a terrible situation, and it doesn't look good for Jets fans because what that speaks to is a coach who does not understand a handful of things. Not just one or two, but a handful of things it takes to be a good NFL coach. Run a good... Chris, not just to have a good year or two, but to create a program. A program that year over year is constantly building towards something. Meanwhile, you look at Sean McDermott. When he was hired, one of the first things he did was he just... Okay, head of the training and medical staff, we appreciate your time. They, they literally told him to come to the office and bring his playbook. We appreciate what you've done for this organization for 15 years, but you're out. Maybe even Kenny powers him. You're fucking out. That's it. And then they hit him in the face with a muffin. Like, uh, <laughs> what was that, Matt Castle? And he did, did that K-Swiss Tubes commercial? Yeah. I think it did give him a year before. I think he let set back and said, okay, I'm coming in. I'm going to let things play out. And then they, they put the axe in. They finally axed this guy. Not only has McDermott's new chief of training and conditioning, Eric Schiano, you, mm-hmm. sent, me the paper, you yep. sent me the paperwork for it, Kyle. Not only has he won awards for having the quote-unquote staff of the year, according to some obscure... There's the Pro- a, Professional there's, Football Strength Conditioning Coaches Association. Who, why is there... First of all... Total sidebar, why is there an association for everything? Chris, every niche profession all of a sudden has its own quote-unquote association that gives out awards. When are we getting our Buffalo Bills podcasting award? I don't... Ah, fuck them. If they don't want to give it to us, I'll just drink and laugh about it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We'll look into it. With that said, they got rid of the doctor who was associated, the doctors and the trainers and everybody who was associated with literal decades of Bill's failure. All of the head coaches that I just talked to you about a couple minutes ago, all of them just took this trainer's advice. Trusted the doctors. McDermott brought in his own people. <sighs> now, not only is he staff of the year, but it's changed both our win-loss column and it's changed our AGL stats. 2017, Chris. Sean McDermott posts a 44.5 AGL score, and he's ninth in the NFL. 2018, which people said was a lost year for the Bills, second best in the NFL at 33.8. And then last season, 64.6. We were 11th in the NFL in games lost. So as we dig into this conversation about injuries, this is worth talking about here. Because there's too many NFL fans out there who are willing to chalk things up when, when it comes to injuries. Like, poor, when your team gets beat up and has a bad year, they say, well, it's bad luck. I know. I've been one of those people. Chris, I've blamed it on the fact that the stadium may or may not be built on an Indian burial ground. I, the fact that they dug up and relocated graves to build the parking lots. I've used all of these things as scapegoats. For what now, as I look at it through the information Kyle's been able to provide to me, just seems like shitty management from a physical standpoint of our players. And now we have a staff and a coach who have built this environment where players, they're, they're taking more accountability of it. They're doing better. They're staying healthier. And because of it, we're winning more football games. And Chris, what, what do you think about that? 
I think a lot of uh, us being healthy over at least with last year has to do with the facility, which I'm sure we'll we'll get to. But I think all of the resources they ha- they have at that facility. You know, Cole Beasley signs here and mentions the facility, the facility. You know, from his from his tour. Well, that's it. Everyone who's come here, Kyle, you've heard it mm-hmm. throughout your research. Every player who talks about this place talks about the facilities and the just the staff and the culture and all. They say all these things that sound like buzzwords, but when you look at it through the lens of what we're talking about here in tonight's podcast, that carries weight. It, uh, it certainly does. Certainly if you're does. if you're Cassius March coming from the Patriots, who say, "Look, this is an organization that's just cold. They don't care about you. They want you to show up, and they just expect you to do your job every day." Here, the Buffalo Bills have built built this inclusive nature. I remember Reed telling us that Sean McDermott sat down with him one day during training camp, randomly. On there was no preamble to it. Reed's eating lunch. I think Colton was out that day or getting treatment, so he wasn't at lunch. So Reed's by himself. Sean McDermott just sat down next to him and started having a conversation with him. Just asked him about his family, about where he comes from, about what his life was like. And then he gets up and, okay, nice talking to you. Walks away. And he says to me, that's the first... He played under Rex Ryan. He goes, that's the first... Rex didn't even know his name. Yeah, he goes, that's the first conversation I've ever had with an NFL head coach. Sean McDermott has built something here. And the Pagulas have given him kind of the keys to the castle with this new training facility, which led to Mike Love, who was on our podcast, who's been rehabbing from injuries since last preseason. He had this to say about the Bills training facility. Oh, man, it's the best around the world. I've never seen anything like it, bro. It's like a Disneyland for people who love to work out and take care of their bodies and and, uh, use resources to get them back, you know, healthy. I mean, they have everything. I mean, from... Lounges where you can get massages, um, and, you know, chairs and stuff. Nordic boot, uh, I can't never say the name, but uh, they're like boots, you know, um, for your legs and stuff. Uh, they got, I mean, we have everything, man. It, it, if you really take advantage of those resources, there's no reason why you shouldn't be healthy, feeling good. Um, you know, we just have everything, man. It's, it's just an unbelievable place and truly blessed to have and to be in a building with those type of resources. I mean, every time I walk in there, it's the same, you know, never take it for granted. I think that's episode 191 where we interviewed Mike Love. Mike Love. And that right there, folks, is where this podcast finally crescendos into the conversation that's fully fledged about the Buffalo Bills, our outlook for 2020 on the injury front. And just the overall outlook in terms of this offseason and what's to be expected. Now, you just heard Mike Love say it. It's this building and this team and what they've built and the, the people and just the way the team is run is a blessing to any player who wants to genuinely be a pro football player. And that if you're in this building, there's no reason, there's no excuse for you to not be healthy and for you to not be on your A game and not be included. And to what you said earlier about uh, Sean McDermott's interview with Albert Breer. McDermott, it starts with him. He preaches to his players, look, you're going to hold each other accountable. We're all going to be accountable. I'm going to be accountable to you. It, his accountability started the day he apologized to his team, to the fans, to everybody for starting Nathan Peterman. 
and benching Tyrod Taylor. That was the moment I was like, that's a different coach. And you've seen what this program has become with him at the helm and with his people running things behind the scenes. And with this mantra of culture, I'm going to build a culture and then I'm going to build a football team. So heading into 2020, it is old news that the Buffalo Bills were one of the least injured teams in the NFL last year. We should leave it in last season. Let's talk about this year. How realistic is it, Kyle, for the Bills to expect to replicate that injury luck? I don't think it's realistic to have it as well as we did last year, but I still anticipate that we're going to see that their injuries are going to be down somewhat. I mean, I you can't predict injuries. I don't care who you are. There might be uh, risk factors. There might be things that you can correlate to, but you cannot say somebody's going to suffer a hamstring tear because I, I predict that they're going to. I mean, unless you're, you know, Nostradamus or something. Maybe. <laughs> but I mean, looking at everything like the the injury report. Uh, over the past season on Pro Football Reference, it was just very minor. They, they took away the red for whatever reason on there, but that really stood out to you. Like, you go to Rex Ryan's years, it's just full of red. You go to New England Patriots, it's full of red. But you go to even the past, you know, this past year, there's, you know... A handful of players. Four, four guys on, on IR, and it was Mike Love, Larry Adrian Waddell, Voshan Joseph, Jason Kroom, and then uh, EJ Gaines is supposed to be in here, but he's not on here for some reason. So, like... Uh, no, he's he's IR Sutherland. That's why he's not on Because Dustin Knox made him obsolete. Yes. <laughs> so, we were like, oh, no, this but, is what a real NFL tight end looks like. But, I mean, it just, you know, you just see that it gets better because, you know, they, they're they they're considering the health of these guys more. And you're not losing guys throughout the season because they're able to be, you know, present. So, and, and I'm, I'm always thinking about this with, you know, what you were saying earlier about the staff. You could build that facility for any single team in the NFL or any professional sports organization. It does not mean it's going to reduce their injuries across the board. It hypothetically should, but you still have to have the people that know how to use that equipment, that they know how to find what the best intervention is and move forward with that. Like How to I, teach. Yeah. You have to have teachers. Oh, yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's a big thing with McDermott. He wants to understand why you're doing stuff, and he's a great teacher. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to listen to him talk. I don't know if you listen to the Eric Wood podcast, but he was on there today when it released. That's worth a listen to go to because he really goes into his philosophy, and that kind of ties into everything we're talking about tonight. I'm going to be checking that out as soon as we get done here. Great listen. <sighs> I mean, it's, and then when you look at McDermott's historic numbers, there's nothing there that tells me that this team is going to all of a sudden fall off a cliff in terms of injury. Unlikely, not unless we see the uh, quarterback play, um, you know, take a nosedive. Well, but that, that's the only thing that, that kind of skews against football outsiders with regards to the play because they said uh, Jim Caldwell, he had great numbers when he had prime Peyton Manning, and then Manning was out in 2011 Players or whatever. check out. But well, players a, check out, but he his, his, everything tanked because of that. So it's like, okay. But there's a mentality. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, Reed talks about it all the time. I asked Reed the one time. I, I was like, you're not the biggest guy in the world. I mean, he's not. You look at Reed, he doesn't look, I shouldn't say that. Reed, no disrespect, but you don't look like an NFL football player. If I saw you, you just look like a big guy. You look like a, you're fit, you're tall, but you're not the tallest guy I've ever seen. You're also not the most athletic I've ever seen, or muscular anyway. What is he, 235, 240? He's a long snapper. He doesn't have to be. He's protected with the rules. But with that said, he, Chris, how many times have we watched him on game day just rocketing down the field? I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes I'm in the stands and I see him go to make a tackle and I kind of catch my breath a little bit. I'm like, oh, don't let anything bad happen to him. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, we don't want Sanborn. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> Look out, man. 
And I asked him, I was like, well, how is it that you've never had any significant injury? And he was like, well, because you want to be the hammer, not the nail. And he's like, that's what they teach offensive linemen. You want to be the hammer, not the nail. And it seems like McDermott does a good job in keeping guys engaged. No matter what, even in that, the 2018 season might be the biggest indicator of that. Think about what that says about McDermott as a coach. When that season, you knew the Buffalo Bills weren't going anywhere. We were one of the least injured teams in football. Our team wasn't talented, but nobody got hurt because they were at least, the guys out there were giving everything that they had. That's what you get out of McDermott as a head coach. I mean, if we're going to have more injuries, it's going to be because of freak things Just that happen. Just things that you can't stop. Like the Corey Carter injury in 2018, he got his knee bent backwards on a, you know, it wasn't, a, I think it might have been a blocked punt, but it was in preseason. Like, you can't prevent against that kind of stuff. No. The Russell Bodine, even though he sucks, that he had somebody fall on his leg, you can't prevent against that stuff. But, uh, but Taiwan more, Jones, I don't know what happened then, but it's like that's, that kind of stuff. Well, I know hey, what happened to him. He got his fucking helmet ripped off well, and it tore his face open. He had that, I think, week week two, and then he was in IR later on that season, which I still understand what was going on. But, I mean, if you're going to see the injuries increase with the Bills this year, it's because of injuries you cannot control for. It's not going to be the soft tissues. I mean, we had Devin Singletary last year and Dawson Knox suffer their, you know, uh, hamstrings and then uh, Matt Milano partway through. And that's what I was going to ask you about because, well, trying to predict if and when or to whom injuries in the NFL are going to occur to, that's probably as hard to pin down as the exact moment when Chris lost all sense of style. Although from that picture that uh, Reed sent, you might never have had it. No. (laughs) I told my mom about that photo and she was like, we still have that sweatshirt that you're wearing somewhere. Can Asher have it? No. Oh, my God. That was my favorite sweater. I got to text Reed and ask him for this picture here. This oh, is... I'll text it to you. It's okay. hysterical. The mushroom. It might be better coming from Reed, though. Oh, yeah. Text him and ask him. <laughs> so here's the thing. It's hard to predict these. But when you look at it, there's visible red flags in history that we can lean on. And there, there's team makeup that you can look at that would help predict some of it. First of all, for you. Yeah, you just saw the picture. Oh, my God, that's bad. Oh. Yeah, exactly. That's the most, out of all mushroom oh cuts, I've never seen one that's that embarrassing. Ooh. There's been some bad mushroom cuts throughout history. That's bad. Yeah, that's bad, man. That's intentionally bad, I feel like. Your parents must have hated you. No, I mean, I'm 11 in that photo, so clearly it was my decision. <laughs> oh, my God. See? I was making those kind of decisions when I was 11, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll say that. I was brush cut or nothing. So... First of all, if we're talking about the 2020 Bills, who do you have as some of your most significant risks? We're trying to forecast what we can't figure out through numbers. I mean, we know the overall numbers might be low for the Bills coming into this year. Who represents the candidates most likely or at risk for injury in your mind? I'm thinking Harrison Phillips because he's coming off the ACL tear. I'm thinking Teron Johnson based on style of play, and he's had... The hamstring, he's had the torn labrum. Teron Johnson kind of has been beat up, which... He's to small. Me, I'm not going to lie to you. When you look at the pick of Dane... Uh, what is it, Dane Jackson? Yep, Dane Jackson, yep. When you look at the pick of him in the draft, a part of me almost wondered, is that insurance against another Teron Johnson? Because obviously Sean McDermott loves the big nickel formation. But is this insurance against, hey, we want to know we have another true nickel DB who can go out there and be aggressive and be physical and do the things that Teron Johnson would do because throughout his career he hasn't been durable. 
that's just the reality of it. So, I mean, I, I, I glad, I'm glad that they're looking at that because, what, Johnson would be on a four-year contract because that's what the traditional. Yes. So he's entering year three. If he stays healthy and can continue doing what he does, fine, keep him around. But if not, you have somebody are waiting in the wings to take his job because you cycle through the roster. That's part of it. That's Especially just, as a DB, you almost yeah. have to do that. Yeah. Because the way DBs get paid now in the NFL, you, you have to. It's yeah. smart business. What's our other option? Bringing back Philip Gaines? Chris, mark this down. If Philip if Philip Gaines ever sets foot on the Bills roster, I'll drink a twelve pack of Seagrams. All right, a twelve pack of them. If Philip Gaines is ever re-signed to this roster, fuck that guy and the horse he rode in on. Who else? Are there uh, anybody else on this roster who you look at as a concern, giving their history? Jerry Hughes, I mean, he's incredibly durable. He doesn't miss games, but you saw the injuries he had last year. And he's getting older. <laughs> he somehow like, fought through them. Dude, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know Reed's next to him in the locker room. But I do not want to mess with that guy. I mean, he went through the messed up wrist he had in the uh, you know preseason. Then he had the groin. And he's had so many injuries over the years. I, I applaud him for playing through because it's, you know, NFL football is a warrior sport. But I, I question at some point, when, is you gonna, when are you going to fall off because you just can't keep up with it. I think Marshall Yanda had said it well. Um, I wrote the quote down. Okay. He said, you know, rehab is life draining. At what point does Jerry Hughes say, I can't do this anymore because I'm spending more time trying to get ready to play? I mean, Hughes, I don't think is there yet, but he's probably not far away. Anybody who's ever, anyone listening to this podcast, if you've ever had a hurt back, I was in a car accident last year. I got rear-ended by an 82-year-old woman at a stoplight. Because the sun was in her eyes. She doesn't like sunglasses and she doesn't believe in her fucking sun visor. She totaled her car into the rear end of my truck. <laughs> now, because it's a pickup truck, obviously I drove away. But my back was fucked up for an entire summer. And I'm not going to lie to you. It, everything I did sucked. Playing softball. Just getting up in the morning was hard. You think that's bad? I was just talking to a guy the other day, a buddy of ours who does concrete. He hurts every fucking day. He said it takes, he has to get up 45 minutes early. Now he's my age, 35. He has to get up 45 minutes before he's, 45 minutes before he's ready to take a shower and go to work, start getting ready. Just so he can start breaking his spine in to how he has to, because he's like, if I were to just get up out of bed and try to tie my shoes, I'd be in so much pain, I couldn't do it. That's what a lifetime of playing pro sports will do to you. And guys like Jerry Hughes, Mitch Morse, with his injury history. Yep. I'm not concerned that Morse is going to... I mean, I'm concerned about the, the number of concussions because that just increases your risk further because once you had one, you're exposed, your potential is more. So I don't think Morse is more likely to get injured in general, but all it takes is one bad hit. We saw that last year. Yep. It was innocuous, and he was out for the entire month. Now, having said that, does it give you any... Does it give you any sense of confidence seeing just the toughness that's been instilled in these guys by this coaching staff? The fact that they've cultivated the right group of players like the Jerry Hughes of the world, who despite their injuries, they'll play through it. Everyone was shocked when at the end of the year, what, 12 different Bills players had to go under the knife? I don't know if it was 12, but there was quite a few. I mean, that was, that was a busy two weeks for me. I was like, holy shit, how am I missing all these things? And then you look back, and I look back through your injury report, and most of the stuff wasn't on there, or it was so minor, like, what was going on? But that, it's an incredible thing when I'm looking at these injuries, and I say this, this, and this, and then I keep on playing through. I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm overreacting. And then you see they get the injuries for the surgeries for these injuries. I go, I wasn't overreacting. I know what I'm looking at, but these guys are just – 
able to get ready and get up and do what they have to do because it's just it's impressive. Because it's been instilled in them by a staff that makes them feel like they want to give everything that they have. Man, if Which I had Sean spe- McDermott as a coach, I'd be doing <laughs> well. I you know and, and I'm gonna go off a tangent here for a second. So uh, take the floor, okay. sir. All right. So I wrestled back in high school, and you know I I, I wrestled for um, a guy. His name was Mark, and a fantastic guy, and he really had the same approach that Sean McDermott had. And so what I mean by that is we were coming up through junior high. He was our junior high coach, and we he, he just got this program started where he was like, okay, you're going to wrestle with each other, and you're just going to do what it takes to, to put the work in, and it's going to come along, and you're going to get better. So we weren't the most talented you know, group of wrestlers, but he came up with us at the varsity level when the head coaching position opened up, and we were, we were dog shit that first year. Oh, my God, we were – I think we beat we beat the only team worse than us, and then we <laughs> lost to everybody else in the in the county, and then we just slowly kept that group together and slowly got better. We added younger classes that uh, had that same mentality and kept on just building up. And then toward the end, we're all a big family. In you know down in Pennsylvania, they have the districts instead of uh, sections up here. Yeah. So we were the first team to make the the district ten duels, which was a big thing because. Our team, it was never a goal of ours, but he kept on putting those goals up on the board and saying we're going to beat people, and we beat the team that made it every year and was making it down the states. Like, it was the same mindset. I'm thinking my coach could have gone, I'm not thinking go to coach the Buffalo Bills, but he could take that mindset and put it toward this stuff and be successful. So when I see Sean McDermott doing this stuff, I go, I see a lot of similarities in this, and I love what I'm seeing, and I just, I could buy right into that because I know that that program works, and it's not something that you write down and say, this is how you incorporate it in for every single thing. But there, There's no way to qualify it. You can't qualify it, but he, I see the similarities. I go, this works. It's going to pay off. Will it end up in a Super Bowl? <laughs> I don't, I mean, we all hope so, but we're going to be in a hell of a better position, you know, and we're in a better position every year because of what McDermott's doing. And like, I, oh, if I could play one down for that guy, I'd be giving everything I have <laughs> because I know what he's doing works and, I, I can believe in it fully, and I'm farthest from an NFL field I can be. And, and that's, I guess, the thing that we're talking about here is when you get into that mindset, Chris, you're, you've set yourself up already. you set the table for success. you set the table for hard work. It's not shocking, then, that guys who work the hardest are the guys who don't get hurt, are the guys who are ready to play, are the guys who aren't injury-prone, that your players, when they do get hurt, are willing to say, hey, guess what? Yeah, that hurts. I can push through. I'll take it. One, I'll take one more snap. I'll take ten more snaps. I'll take one more game. Nah, I can do ten more games. Why? Because you have a culture that says that hey, we're all accountable to each other. And the second you want to quit, hey, you can quit, but you won't because you care about the guy next to you. We haven't had that here in years, and it showed up in our injuries. And now we're not seeing it because we have a coach who's delivering it on the field. What I love is when you look at the rookie class. The injury concerns, which is what you talked with Joe Marino in your podcast appearance about, to me, it's almost unnecessary. To me, it's a storyline I don't give a shit about. And I hate to say that. I'm not trying to belittle what you did. I still encourage everyone to go check it out. But here's why. When you look at that 2020 class, there's nobody on that class that we need this year. It was the reason that they went out and got Stephon Diggs instead of spending a first-round draft pick on a wide receiver. Because they needed a guy who understood not just how to be an NFL football player from the verbiage and the, the, but from an injury standpoint, we need a dude who we know is going to come in here and be a dog who's going to work his ass off. He's going to, we know his conditioning is going to be on point. 
we know that whatever we tell him to do, he's going to do it and then some. So I'm not interested in the injuries of the rookie class because really that the team will succeed with or without them. And in fact, that's probably one of my most interesting takeaways from this all. When I look at the makeup of the roster, what you see is a concerted effort by the Buffalo Bills to add elite depth. In 2017, we did the podcast where we talked, again, hopefully you all go listen to it. I don't know if you want to. I, I was ah, yeah, it was bad. Our <laughs> podcast was terrible back then. It's still probably rough, but fuck it. Whiskey. It's bad now, it's bad now according to you. According to me. Yeah, every hate, week every week we finish the podcast, I go, Chris, it was terrible. This podcast sucked. So last year we talked about there was a handful of positions. You know, last week, Jesus Christ, 2017. The positions most impacted we were talking about guys who get put on IR because of that giant uptick in injuries mm-hmm. with the reduced practice time. Running backs and wide receivers were the most affected on offense. Linebackers and defensive backs were the most on defense. That makes sense because those are the players who spend the majority of their games not only going in a, you know, playing vertically, but also having to move laterally. They have to change direction quickly. And because of that, you're the most at risk for the most severe injuries. Achilles. ACL, MCL, PCL. That seems to jive, right? Yep, it does. Okay. So keeping that in mind, when you look at the Bills roster coming into this season, what I see is a concerted effort to add pretty great depth at all of those positions. Whether it was... I mean, look at it. Linebackers. That's probably the only group I'm worried about. The depth is an elite, but when you look at Klein... Edmonds, Milano, these are guys who are tenured NFL veterans, which seems to feed into the narrative that this is a Bills team that understands how to take care of their bodies. They understand what it takes to compete in the NFL year over year. Then you look at the wide receivers. We returned the same group from last year, and then we made a a dynamic addition. Our starters have seven years of NFL experience. And our recently drafted players, they're not even a need in terms of contribution. If they give us anything this year, it's found money. The running backs, they cultivated depth on the roster. They brought in Moss, who everyone thinks is going to be this workhorse running back. I don't see that. Not the way McDermott runs it. He works you in and makes you earn your spot. But running backs acclimate quickly to the pro game. I think maybe the quickest of any position group in the NFL. Because the technique isn't any different. You see a hole, you hit it. You get a little wiggle. Everything's just faster. I mean, does that sound about right, Chris? Yeah. I'm, Christian Wade comes to mind. His first goddamn touch. I tweeted out last week. Took it to the house. His first touch, he takes it to the house against guys who have been playing in the end, playing football their entire lives. Why? Because at the running back position, athleticism is just athleticism. It's just what you see, how you understand your blocking, and then you run. And that's what it is. And so with that, we've got two young running backs on the roster that are still in their athletic primes. We've got a seasoned vet in TJ Yeldon, and we've got Project Christian Wade, who's an elite athlete who just needs to work up to having the chops to playing in the NFL on a regular basis. That's a... When's the last time you went into a training camp and looked at your running back roster and said, I can't believe we have to cut some of these guys? It's been a while. I, I can't think of anybody like that. Well, Yeldon's a three-down back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's just trying to up his uh, trade value. That's why he's doing. And then the defensive backs. This is probably the deepest position on the whole roster. They have an average starting experience of five years. 
among the players most likely to make the roster, that's the whole roster, not just the guys we expect to make it after the cutdown. Everyone who you expect to be suiting up on Sundays has an average of three seasons in McDermott's defense. That's another thing. You're even even down to the depth guys. Dean Marlowe, Levi Wallace. Your backups have been experienced in this defense. I mean, it's clear that the Buffalo Bills have put in the work, whether by design or by accident, to build a roster that's deep and experienced in NFL tenure at positions that have historically been susceptible to really catastrophic injuries. I think they've insulated themselves from a lot of risk heading into this offseason. To your point, you thought they had one of the better offseasons of any team coming out of a shortened year. Absolutely. I mean, they, they're, they're positioned well. They have the experience to weather any uncertainties like this COVID pandemic we have going on right now. And they have that continually from the past few years. So, hey, we can throw some things in, make it work. And if we lose some stuff, it's not going to be the end of the world. I'm looking at EJ Gaines right now. We brought him back. If he's gone, I mean, he was a starter a few years ago. If he's gone, okay, you move on. You have other guys to play with. You know, you lose him in 2017, and, you know, that could be a totally different thing. And we, we, you guys, I think, talked about last week on the podcast with, you know, how much difference there was when he was on the field versus when he isn't. It's amazing how much expendable he is because that's how the NFL is. But that's why you build that depth because if somebody goes out, okay, next man up. But it's not, holy cow, we've lost everything. The season's done. I know they're they've literally again. Well, I don't. I can't say that they've done this intentionally, but what they've done is they've built a warhorse here that's built for a long season that's probably going to be filled with attrition. There's another team that kind of overcame that, the Kansas City Chiefs in 2019. Kyle, you when you sent me that and you were like, "Oh, look at the Chiefs' injuries from 2019," they had a ton of injuries on the defensive side of the football. But because they're because they were deep, and because those deep, the depth kind of had system acclimation. They understood what they were getting involved in. It took a little time to develop. Like the Chiefs' defense went through some parts of that season being one of the worst in football. They were awful last year. I mean, they were what thirty second, I think, in the AFC Championship game. I mean, it's like. But they have that depth to be able to, to weather and still move ahead. They might not have been great ranking-wise, but they're still able to move ahead and still produce when it needed to. Exactly. And so with that in mind, the Bills have built that familiarity. They went on to win a Super Bowl off depth players on their defense. Why? Because they knew the system, they bought in, and they had a good coaching staff. We have a good coaching staff from that same coaching tree, oddly enough. And it seems like they've cultivated a ton of depth. And I guess that's it. I mean, when, when you look at it, this Bills team has set itself up for some for real, uh, real success in 2020. Everyone thinks that. The national media has jumped on board. We were talking about it last week. But it's also interesting to see how they've insulated themselves from risk on the back end. Again, I can't say any of it's intentional. But... It's worth noting that this roster, Chris, you're not going to have any veterans hurting themselves working out alone. Nope. You're you're not going to have a rookie draft class where there's an injury because this guy, oh, well, this guy didn't understand what he was doing and he hurt himself in training camp. Reggie Ragland style. 
you're not going to have a Sammy Watkins where here's a major piece of our offense who just doesn't understand the maturity it takes to be an NFL football player. We don't have any of that. Instead, what we have is a roster full of tenured veterans and well-coached young players who just... Kyle, it seems like they've all bought in and they're all ready to go. I'm interested to see what kind of an advantage that mentality, that level of preparation by our coaching staff and our GM this offseason, and the Pagoulas for giving us this training facility, this all-world facility that you just heard Mike Love. This is a guy who played. He's a guy who played college football. He's been around a major program. He gets to the NFL and he says, okay, I'm going to the Bills. This is different. This is crazy. Nobody should ever be taking this for granted. The fact that we've amassed all these things, Kyle, is there any doubt in your mind that this gives us an advantage heading into 2020 over a lot of teams, not just around the league, but specifically in our own division? It has to. I mean, you have that turnover in New England, even though they have the same head coach, but we saw how cold it can be up there, figuratively and literally. You have all this new these new players at Miami, and then the Jets are just... The Jets. So, I mean, like, but it's like it, we, we, we're set up to succeed. Now, I'm not saying that, I mean, in the best laid plans don't always succeed, but if you plan accordingly, you can succeed. So, you know, I don't see why we can't be successful based off of what we've already done to prepare. I mean, it's clearly evident the past few seasons with McDermott, and I don't see why it couldn't, you know, happen. It, there's, there's so many different variables that could you know, play a part into why maybe they're not as successful. But, I mean, our, our fan base is, is convinced that we're going to maybe, you know, they should win the AFC East, you know, AFC Championship game, maybe in the Super Bowl. I mean, that's... Health is going to be a major factor. Exactly. This. So, I mean, even the best even the best teams can be, you know, hit by that. And eventually, at some point, that next man up just doesn't come back in, you know. But, I mean, we're, we're a better position than, you know, some of the other players were, yeah, the Jets, they have some great top-end talent. But we saw that in the past years... With the Bills, where we had the top end talent, once that went down, we were awful and we couldn't rebound from that. We had that one two, 2011. We had that great start, and then everybody started getting hurt, <laughs> and you just couldn't get ahead hey, of it there. Great start. It's, I'm, I'm happy you mentioned that because going back to the Bleacher Report article that we referenced earlier, mm-hmm. one of the noteworthy things was the way defenses in the wake of a truncated offseason failed to gel at all. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought that offense was going to be the thing that struggled because they didn't have enough offseason to really install their programs. It took over a month for some of the NFL's best defenses to stop allowing box scores that looked like something out of looked like something out of arena league football rather than the AFC North. So with that said, the Buffalo Bills were a beneficiary of that early on in that year. The 2011 Buffalo Bills, the f- what what the the year we beat Tom Brady and the Patriots. God, that was a great win. 2011. 2011. Yeah. I don't know if you're referencing a couple years ago when we beat Brissett. It took months for NFL teams to figure out defense, and things eventually unraveled for the Buffalo Bills once that happened and injuries caught up with us. I think it's interesting that. When you look at the defensive experience, every player on this roster, on defense, has experience in McDermott's system. Even A.J. Klein, 
Mario Addison, Vernon Butler. You think that's a mistake? They know what they're doing here. And so through that lens, I'm not worried about the Buffalo Bills when it comes to injury. I'm worried about the rest of the NFL and what we're going to do to them when we get there. Oh, this whiskey has me fired up. This this topic has me fired up. Yeah. Just talking about it. Chris, I'm ready. I'm ready for training camp to get underway today. Let's yeah. go. And you did get that whiskey from me because you did take me to Rochester for my new car. Yeah, Chris so, bought me a bottle of whiskey for driving him to Rochester to get a yeah, car. Yeah, and this is your, you, over the course of the show, you've been drinking it. So what is it? How is it? Chris wants a fun. It's Clyde Mays Straight Rye Whiskey, 94 proof. Chris knows what my qualifications are for whiskey. What is it, Chris? Forty dollars minimum. Average minimum forty dollars has to be in a glass bottle. <laughs> yeah. No plastic. If you bring me plastic, I'll shoot the roof. Yeah, but I also know you to be the guy that is just bullet rye. That's what I like. That's what I get almost every time. So, like for your birthday or to this occasion, yeah, I could go get you bullet rye, or I could just get you. A rye whiskey that you've never had or heard of. I'm not going to lie, it's smooth as hell. It's enjoyable. As has been this conversation. All of it. I'm fired up already because I see the, I see what's laid out in front of us. We have a successful Bills season right here on tap, especially from an injury standpoint. Because it seems like this team has not only done the groundwork from a coaching and training standpoint, to insulate itself from recurrence of injury, protecting itself from figuring out how to rehab injuries, figuring out how to keep guys going, even when they're hurt. Then you factor in that they've added pieces who are all familiar with the system. So to your point, when one goes down, it actually is plug and play. Nobody has to learn. There's no learning curve here on defense for the Buffalo Bills in 2020. And that's going to be the thing that drives us. The offense will take time to grow. But Chris, what happens? Perfect storm. 2011, terrible defense to start the season because it's a shortened season, and that's what we saw the last time the offseason got shortened like this. Strong team, but also a strong defense that are all on the same page, that have all been locked in step. Maybe the national, maybe the rap that I gave the national media from last week, maybe it's not that far off. Hot no. You're talking like we're a 13-win team. Let's go! <laughs> Woo! I'm fired up. But, but despite that, we got to get the hell out of here, folks. It's been a two-hour podcast. Once again, our trademark. Chris, play the man out. Yeah. Kyle, what are you writing? Where can we find you on the Twitter? So I'm at Banged Up Bills on Twitter. I do some Facebook and Reddit, but if you want to find me and communicate with me, I'm on Banged Up Bills on Twitter. Uh, I do work for Buffalo Rumblings as things pop up, any stories. Um, I do a lot of writing still for my own website. I'm working on the positional injury reviews. So I take what I put over the last year and kind of put it all in one article so it's easy referencing. I'm also trying to build like a roster. So if you want to find something about the injury, I mean, you can go on Wikipedia, you can go looking around, but I want to make that one-stop shop to say, hey, you can click on Josh Allen and find every injury that he had and any articles you want to read and more. So, I, you know, I, I know that people want to look wow. for that stuff. So, you know, you can look, click on it, and then you can just find all the work that I've done that, that ties into that. Obviously, there's going to be some incomplete stuff, like Jerry Hughes has been around forever. <laughs> so I'm not going to be able to have all the detailed stuff from his time with the Colts or early on. But, you know, most of those rosters from 2017 and, you know, most recent. So... 
I'm going to have pretty up-to-date stuff for that. So that's one of the big projects I'm working on, getting the position under reviews. I pray that there's not any more injuries coming up, you know, over the next month here or any news. Like, we had the Ed Oliver stuff last week. I don't want to see any of that stuff. But that allows me to get more of that stuff going. Um, I did do some work for uh, Eric Turnover, Cover One. Um, I love working over there because I can really dive deep into each of these injuries. And that worked out great when we uh, drafted Zach Moss and then signed Trey Adams. I had all the information. I rehashed it out and had it out there quickly. So, um, you know, I have people asking me about different things. I try to get what information out there. And the other big project, and I'm going to give Chris credit on this, is trying to do video with the video injury reviews there. Yeah. I, I need to figure out a better video uh, editing software that's free because, frankly, I'm cheap. You know, but, you know. Cheers, sir. Yes, but there's uh, a glass. But I mean, if I can find something better, I can definitely improve on what I'm doing. So if anybody has any ideas out there, I'm open to it. Some of the stuff I found, I can't really, you know, um, work with all that well, or I haven't figured it out. So uh, I'm constantly just trying to find ways. What what can I do that makes this more accessible? I know I could branch this out into fantasy, or I could branch this out into NFL and make this bigger. But I feel that if I did that. I would lose a lot of the detail to attention that I can give with, with Buffalo Bills. And frankly, the Bills are my team. I don't want to do work on the Jets or the Patriots because, you know, why? I mean, that's just a waste of time. Yeah. Well, not so, only a waste of time, but it would eat your soul. Exactly. Yeah. I've just seen it. just too much work to try to cover everything. I'd rather be good at one thing and do that well and, you know, help the fan base out. Folks, and, if you have a video editing software that you could recommend to Kyle Trimble, at Banged Up Bills on Twitter... The man has literally sat in my basement when we were watching football on Sunday and a player gets hurt and we all go, <gasps> and yeah. we put our hand, I put my hands on my head and I go, oh my God. And then Kyle has me rewind it and goes, I don't know. The way he fell, it doesn't look like anything got strained. That's not a position that anything could really pop or tear. I bet you he'll be fine. And then two series later, he's back out on the field and it's like, all right, thank God. Yeah, and the, uh, the last question i guess for the evening would be for the listeners answered by you are we doing a show next week i don't know it's going to be up in the air folks before i can give you what we're doing next week usually we close the preview of our next show i don't know because uh i might be in the hospital delivering a child so we're gonna figure it out with that said this has been a lot of fun but we gotta get the hell out of here i'm drew gear that's Kyle Trimble from bangedupbills.com. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report.